Flap Life Plastic Muni Radio FM. Welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today it's March 15th, 2019, and I am joined right now on the phone by Vanessa Rochelle Lewis. I will read a bio. Um, this is, you can check this out at the Pleasureness Literary Academy. And formerly known as Jezebel Delilah X, Vanessa Rochelle Lewis is the founder of Pleasureness Literary Academy and head mistress in charge. She is a healer with a satchel full of medicine words, a conjurer with desire to nurture other artists as they create magic and save lives, a fairy mermaid gangsta for the revolution, a lush-bodied black femme goddess motivated by sensuality and freedom, an editor and excuse me, an educator and performer with a passionate exuberance for silliness, laughter, and the stage, a starlet who doesn't want to be in the spotlight alone, a lover of all things collective, emergent, and interdependent. A wild seed born and blossomed in South Central Los Angeles, a fighter with fists born of circumstance and a heart that refused to harden, a warrior committed to freedom, brow dripping with resilience, wings crusted with diamonds that grew from trauma healed, a sunbeam drama kid, always ready to explore the whimsy of imagination with others, a dreamer who's hungry for more, more understanding, more expansive enlightenment, more friendship, more growth, more compassion, more love, more creativity, more access for her people, an activist committed to unpacking the seeds, kernels, and fabrics of social justice, liberation for all, collaborative healing, an alchemist who knows how to turn spirit wounds into magic, oppression into possibility, resentment into vulnerability, insecurity into self-expansion, anger into love, an ethical hedonist, pleasure activists committed to transformative potency of using joy as a tool for decolonial healing and movement work, a good witch who highly values compassion, love, forgiveness, and using the forces that be for generate, uh, generative transformation over revenge, a dumb mistress with a love for tender, gentle things, devotion, and nurture, 
power exchange, role play, deeply consensual BDSM relationships, subs of all genders and expressions, intimacy and magic, a survivor through and through, and extremely proud of it. An unapologetically integrated person, intersectional, full, able to be held accountable, and unwilling to compromise any part of herself. A free black woman, a lover of words and expression, and a goofy, romantic, and rascally flirt. Vanessa, thanks so much for calling in and welcome to the program. Yay! Thank you for reading my long-ass bio. That is a great bio. That's a wonderful bio. (laughs) Thank you. Take up space 2019 and forever. Yes. Yes, indeed. Oh, wow. That's... Oh, where to begin? There's a lot. To, there's a lot to talk about. Certainly, um, we had the pleasure of meeting uh, quite a few years ago, and I'm so grateful to know you. Oh, same, Roman. You, um, you know, you are definitely one of the more openly tender people that I know, and I appreciate it. And to tell you all, one of my favorite memories of Roman, we had just. Um, I think ate Ethiopian food and we were going for a walk around the lake and some random person wanted to sing with us. And normally when this happens, people are all like, oh my God, let's get away from this. Roman stopped to sing with this guy and I was like, (laughs) bliss. Oh my goodness. It was so beautiful. Oh, What, what what a tender memory. It was it was very special. I mean, I've been I've definitely not now at this point in my life, but in the past I've been chastised by friends for connecting with strangers and it was so sweet to be with oh. you and to watch you be so open to that like nice moment of oh. like sharing joy. I was like, "Oh, this is someone to know." <laughs> Oh, yeah. I feel like there's, I mean, it's so great. I mean, especially with, you know, strangers and folks we don't know, there is that possibility for connection all the time. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. in our society, we've kind of been trained against that with a lot of strange, you know, the fe- like fear mongering and stranger danger. Yet, if we were mm-hmm. actually to get to know everyone, uh, things would be a lot easier for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even just like being able to take a moment to like in- engage in like the pleasure of singing, <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it feels good for our souls. And, and who knows how that moment might have it shifted my life. Who knows how it might have shifted their life? I, I think about some of these horrific atrocities that have happened yes. in the last couple of days yesterday. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, and I just think about like. Definitely, like, I'm not blaming anybody but the um, perpetrators who did that, but I also think about what would happen if we existed in a world that really centered and valued love, joy, pleasure, vulnerability, and connection. How much of that would happen? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Off of a Hallmark channel, I should say. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Right? We value it on TV sometimes, but in our real lives... Yes, it's different when we actually have to engage with one another, I think. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think TV and the media can have that kind of passive suggestion of you, you know, watching something, but not actually taking part in something. Exactly. Oh. Well, guess what I'm going to be doing today? Tell in us. About Tell us. an hour. I'll be a part of a photo shoot Ooh. called the Queering Vova Project. That sounds great. It, Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited. Um, I feel so bad because I cannot pronounce this person's last name. (laughs) Oh, that's me on the show quite often. (laughs) I think it's Juno Rosenhaus. Oh, I know Juno. Juno. Yes. Oh, yay. 
Yay! <laughs> so, Juno is doing the um, Queering Velvet Project, and they are going to come to my house, and we're going to do a photo shoot where they'll take a picture of my vulva, and they ask me, like, you know, if I thought about my vulva, like, having superpowers or, like, my vulva's dream photo shoot, what would it be? And I thought... My vulva would shoot blood clots at the patriarchy. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yes, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to try to create a scene where my vulva is, has a little pea shooter in it, and it's shooting blood clots at the patriarchy and transforming them to beautiful flowers. Oh, that is amazing. Oh, <laughs> I cannot wait to see the, the uh, final results of this. Wow. I think in the over five years of doing this show, that's the first time I've been asked that. <laughs> Popping cherries. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> so that sounds incredible. And, I'm really excited. Yeah. Um, I was also hoping you could talk a little bit about the Pleasureness Literary Academy. Yes. The Pleasureness Literary Academy is my brand new baby. Um, fresh into this world. Um, so, you know, the last few years I have been getting increasingly sick and unwell. And a lot of my sickness, I believe, is a result of stress and mm -hmm. me not really knowing how to manage my stress while navigating systems of oppression yeah. in the workplace. So I thought, let me take a second, let me stop, let me breathe, and let me dream if I could do what I really wanted to do in the world, yes. what would it be? And I realized I just want to spread more love. I want to use art, yes. especially literature, to support people spreading more love. And then I started thinking, well, you know, love, is it sounds all pretty and whimsical and cute and whatnot, but it is not easy no. yeah. <laughs> to really, truly ground yourself in love practices when you're constantly encountering microaggressions in the world, trigger, trauma, stress, etc. Yes. So I thought... The Pleasureness Literary Academy could be a tool to support people with, like, the tangible act of grounding themselves in pleasure and joy and love and making choices, no matter what's happening around them, no matter what they're carrying, making choices to center their pleasure in a way that does not define pleasure, that does not see pleasure as coming at the expense of somebody else or mm -hmm. the earth or, mm. you know, even people that we can't really see because they're not right in front of us. Yes. So Pleasureness Literary Academy does this in a couple of ways. One thing that we do is we do lots of workshops. I just did a workshop last night at UC Berkeley with their students, predominantly queer students, and the workshop was called 
how I came to orgasmic self-love as a fat black femme in the age of desirability politics. Mm. And I got to work with these students for two hours just exploring, like, what self-love looks like. How do we ground it in our sexual liberation, in our emotional liberation, and our psychic liberation? How do we connect with each other without fear um, of being judged or excluded? How do we lean into our vulnerability and recognize vulnerability as an act of sensuality and wanting abandon? And it was so fun. It was so cool. It was so cute. Um, and, and, and just really magical. We created some beautiful poetry. It was lovely. Um, also coming up, we have the Ugly Conference, which is another event that the Pleasureness Literary Academy is producing. And the Ugly Conference is a conference dedicated to unpacking ugliness mm. as systemic disenfranchisement, exploring the ways that ugliness whether it be ugliness as a result of white supremacy, um, uh, ugliness as a result of um, of um, ableism, a fat phobia, like whatever, and all the ways that it intersects, the ways that we experience ugliness and how it keeps us from accessing the kinds of lives that we deserve, um, as well as its way of like kind of forcing coercive loneliness, Mm. et cetera, et cetera. So we're unpacking our experiences with ugliness. We're talking about ways to resist it, um, to heal it, to fight back. We're examining the narrative of ugliness, the outliers. And we're really thinking about what it means to like address looksism Mm. in a real way and shift the ways that like society places morality or hierarchy or values on people just based on the way that they look. Yeah. So we do lots of events to really kind of like help people facilitate people choosing more joy, more pleasure, um, paired with creativity and awareness. I also offer coaching with Pleasureness Literary Academy. Mm-hmm. So whether it be artists, and my focus specifically are literary artists and performance artists thinking about how to really ground their practice in transformative justice and intersectionality mm-hmm. and joy, how to go deep into their stories and their histories to find brilliant and wisdom, um, holding them and supporting them as they they go to places that we aren't often allowed to because of whether, you know, like whether it's capitalism not giving us the time and space to process our feelings Mm -hmm. or experiences or whether it's like fear of going somewhere that might be too painful to go to. Like, how do we go there and how do we shift our story so we see the ways that, you know, we survived and we turned our hardship into magic? Yes. How do we use that magic to create a kind of change in society so that other people don't have to experience the hurt that we've experienced quite as much? Um, So we do the coaching. We also do 
professional coaching, which I'm really excited about. I call Mm. it creative and professional intimacy coaching. And one of the things that I excel at the most is creating a space where people can really be themselves and be very vulnerable, be Mm. very honest about who they are um, and not get not get stuck in a pity party (laughs) around their vulnerability, but really like seeing the beauty in who they are and seeing the beauty in other people. So my professional and creative intimacy coaching works with groups, whether it be collectives or nonprofits or even corporations, to build a culture more rooted in trust, more rooted in vulnerability, more rooted in courageous expression, compassionate expression, laughter and joy so that people could be more productive in their goals. Um, I think a lot of times it's lack of vulnerability and lack of trust and insecurity and hurt and harm that gets in the way of us really expressing ourselves and really leaning into our imagination and our creativity. Um, When I was a teacher, I used to be a community college teacher, Mm -hmm. and what I learned as a community college instructor was that students learn so much more and produce so much more when they are laughing when mm. they know they're going to come to class and have a good ass time yeah yeah <laughs> school is going to feel a little bit more like a party and a little bit less like a chore yes the things that would come out of that class <laughs> like the words they would say the things they would write blew my mind persistently and how do we bring that joy that sense of wonder that openness and connection to our professional lives our creative lives our activist world and realm you know really how do we do the work and have a good ass time while we do it yes um and then lastly what we do is we create digital media so you know i write a lot on facebook Mm -hmm. i love your facebook posts (laughs) and my writing on facebook (sighs) really moves people really like is really like you know, a beautiful, like, sort of inspiration for a lot of folks. And so I'm just trying to professionalize that writing a Mm -hmm. little bit more. Um, So I'm going to move a lot of that writing to the blog. It's going to continue to be free and accessible, Mm -hmm. but it'll be a little bit more developed. It'll be a little bit more me feeling freer to be me. Um, in this writing, since it's no longer on the Facebook media or whatever, yes, um, especially as Facebook leans more into its censorship, yeah. there's also going to be meditations coming out of this, um, workshops online coming out of this, different writing workshops, different creativity workshops, different expression, pleasure, intimacy, sensuality, self-love workshops, just all the, all the good gooey things that we need to keep doing our magic in the world. Oh, that sounds incredible and so necessary. Yay! Thank you. And I I feel bad because I spoke so fast. I was like, oh, I hope people understood it. Oh, absolutely. But, and yeah. I'll also also share the links online as well. And Oh, great. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's, it's just, it's so crucial. And I feel like growing up in this country, there's so much that we, one has to unlearn in addition to, to learning. And it's like that constant ba- balance of, okay, questioning what we've been taught either in schools or by the media, or, you know, or even just existing in the world. And then what messages do we want to take on? So I really appreciate what you're doing because it's really focusing on how people can heal and that there needs to be so much of that. Yeah, there really does. There really does. And I really want the healing process to be a fun one as well. Yeah. Um, 
and centered in community. Yeah. You know, we need a laugh. Yes. <laughs> we need a laugh a lot more. <laughs> Whenever we spend time together, I laugh so much, and I'm oh, really grateful for that. And it's a good reminder, too, because I often get really overwhelmed, and I'm a pretty sensitive person, so even if it's like reading the news or for whatever reason, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I feel to be one can feel angry or upset um, about what's happening in the world. And I think it's such a great reminder that there's also a lot of joy in the world and to, to focus yeah. on that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm curious, what I'm really curious about is, is the intersection of being present mm-hmm. and being aware and still being able to center joy. You yes. know, um, yes. I, I went to a meditation, a beginning of the year meditation last year, not this year. <laughs> and the person, excuse me, <clears throat> The person facilitating the meditation encouraged everybody not to read the news. Mm. And we were all like, what? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and she was like, it's very important that you create your own reality Hmm. and your reality can be blissful. And I'm like, you know, being disconnected from society is not bliss mm. for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is for some people, but I think that part of joy, real true joy, is knowing that you're not the only one yes. indulging in that joy. Yes. You know, or your tiny community is not the only people indulging in that joy. Yeah. How do we be present to each other? How do we be compassionate with each other? How do we be empathetic? We have to know each other. We have to know what's going on in order to make choices about how we're going to combat it in really intentional ways. Right. And not all of us need to be marching in the street, me mugging with a with a poster. There are a lot of ways to spread change, spread love. Yes. Um, and have a good time in the process. Mm-hmm. You know. So that's what I'm curious about. I'm curious about how do we merge? How do we merge bliss, personal liberation, with collective liberation? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. that's yeah. a great question. And I also yeah. appreciate also like this, just the idea of being curious about things and like how yeah. that's something that as, as children, I feel like oftentimes children are allowed to explore and create. And then the older we get, I feel like there's less of that. So I really appreciate mm-hmm. the idea that there's more for us just to wonder about and to explore. Exactly. I, I think in my own personal um, experience, curiosity is the thing that has saved me recently from a lot of heartache, mm-hmm. a lot of stress, and a lot of turmoil. When I get triggered, when I get angry, um, when I feel slighted, I'm reminding myself to slow down and be curious. Mm-hmm. Simply mm. to be curious. And being curious opens up a world of possibility. Um, Even if I find out that I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. that I made a mistake, that I did something harmful, like having the grace to be curious with myself Mm. means that I'm not shaming myself, but in Dead, like I'm exploring my needs. What, what what did I need? Yes. You know what was missing. What led me to let me to behave that way. And and when I'm curious about that, I can be gentle with myself, nurture myself, lovingly encourage myself to be the person that I want to be in the world. And and it's and it's it's like oh my god, it's like less bridges being burned up, less stress in my life, less chastisement, and. 
and the sweetness, you know? Like, it's not me, like, bending over laughing, but there's a sweetness mm -hmm. that comes with taking care of myself and being excited about, like, learning and growing so that I can love myself and other people even more. Yes. Yeah. Oh. That's its own pleasure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me think a little bit of how, like, a lot of the times in, I guess, call out culture where there's that kind of there is like a lot of shame involved and sometimes mm -hmm. um i feel like there can be little room i mean I, the ideal situation is that if someone harms someone that the behavior is they recognize what they've done or also including myself in this of course i recognize what i've done and then my behavior changes and i think there's also can be uh, a lot of shame in, involved with that. So I, I, mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying in terms of wanting to really question if we if we can question why we did something and then work on ourselves. Yeah. That's a really yeah. great way of working on it. I think so. I mean, I definitely know that when I get shamed, I get defensive. Yes, I me shut too. down, and I'm trying. I'm trying my best <laughs> to be gentle with my defensiveness so that it's not the immediate answer. Yes, but I'm I'm becoming increasingly aware of the fact that there are so many more ways to like be in community with each other and to talk about hurt and talk about harm without shaming each other. Yes, um, yes. or chastising each other. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and and also like when we're hurt and when we're angry, we do deserve the space and the time to deal with our anger and deal with our hurt. But in my part, you know, I have this really adorable, sweet, loving partner, Eddie. Mm -hmm. um, and what I'm learning in our relationship is that it's possible to be angry with each other and still be curious still be kind, still mm -hmm. remember that we love each other yes. very much. Yes. Very, very, very much. And letting that love and that hope and that desire coat our anger so that it's not us taking our rage out on other people, but like exploring a way to like process through that anger compassionately with each other. Yes. Sometimes, you know, good shit come out of it. We be arguing and then rocking, knocking the boots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh. I know, this is such a, a juicy conversation. It I'm is. So I'm like, why is our time coming to an end already? Oh, well, we'll have to, you'll have to call in again or come in in person. I would love that. That would be great. We can have like the full two hours. I, I'm going to warn you. Yes. I am going to make you blush I, so hard. You already have. <laughs> it's the radio. It's like the audio format. So folks can't tell. However, <laughs> I already have. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, well, before I let you go, I, I'm going to ask you a question yes. for you. I want to know about, other than this decadent phone conversation we just had, Yes. if you'd be willing to share one moment of, like, extreme pleasure and bliss that you've experienced recently. Something real sweet. Make us all swoon a little. Okay. Um, been seeing someone for a while, and um, <laughs> um, usually I don't talk about myself on the program very much, uh, so this is a bit difficult for me. And uh, I think there have been some moments like, lately where I just feel incredibly grateful, and I'm trying not to be too vague about it. Um, just recognizing um, that 
this is, this is actually really difficult for me because I feel like I'm, I'm pretty in touch with my feelings a lot of the time. Um, uh-huh. So I, I can identify how I feel. And then it's difficult for me sometimes to put that into words. Oh. And I think also that I'm on the radio. It's a little bit different than if I were in a therapy session. So I'm like, oh, if there are oh, people listening. Okay. So how, how much do I want to? <laughs> how much do I want to disclose? And also, I can be vulnerable, and just you recognizing that there vulnerable. are that, that that there are people out there who how do I want to say this? Just uh, that there are compassionate people out there, and that there are folks. Oh, I know. So I I, I used to write a lot, and I haven't written so much lately. And then a friend invited me to do a reading, a reading um, last Saturday. And so I wrote, like, I read a piece that I'd written years ago, and it was about uh, a tough time I was having uh, when I was living in New York in my twenties. I'll try to make this as quick as possible. And I was not in a good place, and I caused harm to other people. And so I was a little bit nervous about how, and I was also just going through a lot, and also, and I also caused harm. And I was a little bit, my partner was there, and I was a bit nervous about how she, you know, she would hear this. And she knew some about what I was like before we met. And also, I was nervous about how my words would be received, and my, you know, these actions. And she, you know, listened and was totally accepting of that and listened Mm -hmm. and hugged me and it was very much Mm -hmm. I felt so grateful that I was with somebody who could see me like the whole me or pieces of me that I'm maybe I don't know if I want to say the word ashamed necessarily but pieces of myself that I'm maybe not proud of or pieces of my past where I know I messed up and to have Mm -hmm. someone to be able to kind of see me in full and to still hold me and to not have them be angry at me or to run away from me or to resent me for it made me feel so grateful Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it's, I think really that story is really in alignment with our conversation earlier because it's all about the fact that like, yeah, we as humans get to be whole. We get to grow. (laughs) We get to transform. And even the parts of us that like may have wreaked havoc deserves love. Mm -hmm. That love is what creates transformation. Yes. Yes. Oh, I am so happy you're getting good loving, baby. (laughs) Ooh, I like this. Go, Roman, go. Go, Roman, boo, go. Yay! Well, I will. I will definitely be in touch. I definitely want to come back on your radio station and chat with you. Please do. And I'll also. Um, I've been talking to this amazing femme named Moxie, mm-hmm. who wants to create some really healing queer. Um, oh, what's the word called? You're really into it. Um, it's a. It's a form of theater improv. Oh yeah, yeah. Healing queer improv. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. That sounds great. So, right? I'm like, ooh, ramen, all on Definitely. It. Yeah, I'd love to be involved. Yay. Okay, so I'll be in touch. I'm so excited um, that we're having this connection. And everybody on the radio, thank you. Thank Thanks you. for listening and being a part of this. Aw. Thank you so much, <laughs> Vanessa. Thank you, Roman. Big hearts, big love, honey. You too. Bye. All right, take care. Bye. All right. Oh, my heart feels so full. Big thank you to Vanessa for calling in. If you'd like to learn more, please check out pleasurenesslitacademy.com. And I'll also post that on our page, which is facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. I'll get that done during our music break right now. So yeah, I'll play a bit of music and then we'll be back 
Oh, I just, oh, oh, I feel so good. Oh, thank you, Vanessa, for calling in. Oh, oh so grateful. Okay, I'm going to play, uh, continue on to some music here, and then we'll be back in a little bit. So please do stay tuned.
Welcome back to the Weekly Review. That was Bob Mould with Sunshine Rock, a new song from him. Before that, we heard MK with 17, and that's the 8 a.m. remix. So we're broadcasting here live from Mutiny Radio in San Francisco, and we're on Ohlone land. And I've been doing land acknowledgments for the past year or so, and a friend, Harold, recently posted an article that was super helpful in terms of how to do a more full land acknowledgement. So I wanted to share that. I wanted to do it and also share that with listeners out there. We are on stolen land, of course. So it's, and being brought up in this country, uh, there's a lot to unlearn. So I'll direct folks, if you would like to read along at home, if you happen to be in front of a, <laughs> happen to be in front of a screen, I believe I've shared this on the Weekly Review website. If not, you can check out American Indian children's literature.blogspot.com and this is this was posted on saturday march 9th are you planning to do a land acknowledgement this post on land acknowledgements is long overdue i promised to do it last year but one thing after another meant i put it off this morning saturday march 9th uh the author did a twitter thread about land acknowledgements and they're passing that thread here uh there's more to say um but i hope this is helpful and i'm reading directly from the author's perspective title are you planning to do a land acknowledgement? One, more and more I'm seeing people in the U.S. talk about doing a land acknowledgement at their meeting, conference, or event. Two, if you're wondering what a land acknowledgement is, it is an opening remarks to say that the land that the event is on or was, it, excuse me, it is opening remarks that say the land that the event is on or is on is or was the homeland of a specific native nation. It is meant to create awareness. Three, at first glance, cool, right? Progressive-minded, right? They have a lot of appeal for sure, but this is where they can go wrong. Four, I've seen scripts that people write that a presenter or speaker can use. The use of it is well-meaning, but we all know about good intentions, right? Five, if you do one because you think you should, but that's as far as you go with it in your own thinking or what you can impart to others, you're just doing it as a box-checked sort of thing, and that is no good. Six, if you're not mindful of what you're doing, then you're just, you are turning a land acknowledgement into a token. It becomes an empty gesture to honor Native people. It becomes this century's mascot. Seven, listen to Hayden King's I Regret It, and they provide a link here, about his reflection on land acknowledgement he helped draft at his university. He makes many excellent points. Listen and share it. Um, let's, yeah, let's uh, listen to that now. I haven't heard it yet. So let's, there's an article that's linked here from cbc.ca and it's about 14 minutes so let's let's see if we can play a little bit of this right now land or territorial acknowledgments have become common in many spaces you hear them at the introduction of events and speeches during school and even hockey games but there's growing tension about the politics of these acknowledgments Hayden King works at Ryerson University, where he's the advisor to the Dean on Indigenous Education in the Faculty of Arts. He's also the director of the Yellowhead Institute, an Indigenous-led research center at Ryerson. He is Anishinaabe from Beausoleil First Nation on Chimnissing in Heronia, Ontario. Hayden wrote the territorial acknowledgement for Ryerson University, a decision he now regrets. Hayden, welcome. Hi, Rosanna. Let's start with the basics. What is a territorial or land acknowledgement? Well, a territorial acknowledgement 
I think as they have evolved as sort of a political statement encouraging primarily non-Indigenous people to recognize that they're on Indigenous land and um, hopefully do something about it. Mm. So it's sort of um, an intervention into the business-as-usual conversations that are held in universities or government where we typically see these uh, land acknowledgements. Right. Now, you wrote the acknowledgement for Ryerson University, and uh, tell me at the time why you wrote it. Well, I think that territorial acknowledgements vary from region to region. I Mm -hmm. think that they sort of grew out of British Columbia where there are no treaties and there was a little bit more power in asserting that this is Indigenous land and, hey, you're squatting on our territory. Uh, and have been around, I think, more in, in the West than on the Plains. And Ontario is sort of uh, late to appreciating uh, progressive Indigenous relations. And so back in 2012, 2013, there was sort of a rush to catch up and, and a lot of pressure put on the Indigenous community at Ryerson to, uh, to come up with a territorial acknowledgement. What did yours say? <laughs> well, ours, ours. You know, we we wrote it under under pressure um, and not really anticipating the the growth of the acknowledgement in Ontario or the politics that would accompany it. But ours basically said that uh, Ryerson is on the territory of the Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabek, and uh, it's it's a territory that is governed by the Dish with One Spoon Treaty, a treaty that committed these nations to share the territory in peace, friendship, and respect. And all newcomers are invited into this uh, treaty in the in the spirit of those obligations. Hmm. That sounds okay to me. Why why do you regret it now? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that as we, the conversation has advanced around territorial acknowledgments, some more scrutiny was put onto ours, among others. I think internally, we were having an internal conversation about it. And it's sort of, you know, who who are we really to invite anybody into the Dish With One Spoon Treaty? And mm-hmm. um, what is the state of the Dish With One Spoon Treaty? Mm-hmm. And for me personally, I think I started to see how the territorial acknowledgement could become very superficial and also sort of you know, fetishizing these actual, uh, tangible, concrete treaties. You know, they're not—they're um, not metaphors. They're—they're—they're they're, they're real institutions. And for us to write and recite a territorial acknowledgement that sort of obscures that fact, I think um, we do a disservice to mm. to that treaty and to those nations. Mm-hmm. Hayden, if you were writing it today, what would that acknowledgement say? For me, I think I'd like to move towards a territorial acknowledgement where you provide people with a sort of framework uh, and then let them write it themselves. Mm-hmm. And the really important aspect of a territorial acknowledgement, for me anyway, is the sort of obligation that comes on the back end of it. So, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we're on the territory of the Mississaugas or the Nishnabek and the Haudenosaunee. It's another thing to say we're on the territory of the, the Anishinaabek and the Haudenosaunee and here's what that compels me to do or here are my obligations or here is what I'm committed to. Because if you leave off that second half of the acknowledgement, then you know uh, it, it is more likely to just be that superficial box that you check before you get on to the next item on your agenda. Mm. So what you're saying is that not necessarily would you stop doing an acknowledgement, but that needs to come with... And action. That's right. I would like to see the acknowledgement grow into commitments. Mm-hmm. And so, as you said, the scripted um, acknowledgements are not really effective. Why? Why do you think that it's not effective? 
I don't think it really encourages people to learn and reflect on their relationships um, because I think that the territorial acknowledgement is by and large for non-native people. Mm-hmm. So if we're writing a script and providing a phonetic guide for how to recite the nation's names, then it doesn't it doesn't really require uh, much work on behalf of the people who are reciting that territorial acknowledgement. It it um, it it effectively uh, excuses them. Uh, mm-hmm. And offers them an alibi for for doing the hard work of learning about their neighbors and learning about the treaties of the territory and learning about those nations that should have jurisdiction. Right. Some people might might hear that and think, well, that's a lot. That's a big ask to not only have people say, well, this is the territory of the Haudenosaunee or whatever nation it may be, but then to also have to take action. Like, right, you know, like there's a certain complacency. How would you react to somebody saying that's too much to ask me to do something about the treaty. Well, again, I think it varies from uh, region to region and circumstance to circumstance, but often where we hear the acknowledgement, it's in relatively privileged spaces like Mm -hmm. the university or the conference setting or even, you know, at the Ontario government at the the throne speech. So in those spaces, I, I, I don't think it's too much to ask for a university to say, hey, we're on this territory, these people that actually didn't agree to, to uh, share the territory with us. So we are committed to, let's take the university, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, recruiting more Indigenous students, hiring more Indigenous faculty, co-managing the land with Indigenous people, giving this land back to Indigenous people. Um, I don't think that that's too much to ask, no, mm-hmm. uh, in, in that particular circumstance. Now, in other circumstances, then where uh, you're in less privileged spaces and maybe the acknowledgement is just evolving for the first time, then then it does have the power to compel a conversation. And, right. and, and that's helpful. Yeah. Now, as you said, um, land acknowledgements have become quite common at universities, um, that it's, in fact, noteworthy when an acknowledgement is not made, which is what happened at an event at, at a university this summer. Let's take a listen to this. What's so tricky about acknowledging land? A lot of people really struggle to even say the names of communities because of their lack of familiarity um, or they kind of awkwardly read through these statements with very little reflection on what they're doing, except for that they think they're supposed to read these things. And that's how you sort of start an event now. So we were planning this event at um, OISE University of Toronto. And so we basically just commented that we weren't going to open the event with a land acknowledgement. Um, and so we really wanted to kind of challenge that. We wanted to interrupt that practice and and introduce a set of questions really around why we do this. And so we basically opened our event asking people to to think about the practice in ways that it might even be better not to say anything at all than to say something without deep understanding of what you're doing. That was Jeffrey Anslus on the decision to not open an event with a land acknowledgement. The event was a uh, was the Jackson Lecture by Dr. Cindy Blackstock in conversation with the CBC's Connie Walker at the University of Toronto. Hayden, what's your reaction to what Jeffrey had to say? Well, I was I was at that event, and I remember the uh, non-acknowledgement acknowledgement, and I, <laughs> I, yeah, I thought it was a I thought it was a uh, a provocation and uh, a helpful one because universities are maybe the place where we're sort of in the uh, a next uh, iteration of the land acknowledgement where we are having these critical conversations uh, because I think that there's an exhaustion among especially First Nation Indigenous students who sit in the crowd and, and, and hear the acknowledgement 
um, with with no real engagement. And and so that exhaustion, I think, is pushing people to say, okay, well, we've taken the territorial acknowledgement politics as far as we can in this particular setting, so how can we complicate it further? And at the very least, it, it, it did compel people to think, what is this acknowledgement actually for? Mm-hmm. What about when they're mandatory? Um, for example, all public schools in Toronto start their day with an acknowledgement of territories. What are your thoughts on this becoming an everyday thing that students hear? I mean, I have uh, two young children, um, and if they were to uh, be in a school that that uh, recited a territorial acknowledgement every day uh, before or in place of the national anthem, you know, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be so so unhappy about that. Mm-hmm. I would I would I would appreciate that little bit of uh, recognition, a little bit of positive recognition. I think the one issue with the TDSB, the Toronto District School Board acknowledgement, is that it's factually incorrect, oh, <laughs> which dear. is, uh, uh, yeah, a problem with many many land acknowledgements. Uh. You know, we in 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 Toronto and I think elsewhere, there's there's confusion about whose territory it is, and do you acknowledge people who's who uh, uh, were here 400 years ago but are no longer here anymore, and which. Which name do you use? Is it Iroquois or Haudenosaunee? And, and uh, I think that there's many, many examples of very bad territorial acknowledgements. And if, uh, if we're going to be doing things like making them mandatory, they've got to be vigorously vetted by uh, the communities. Yeah, the inaccuracy that you're referring to is the inclusion of the Métis, whose traditional homeland is not in Ontario. Now, I want to bring in another voice. Renalta Arluk is the Director of Indigenous Arts at the Banff Centre. When we posted a question about land acknowledgements on Twitter, she responded with her own tweet. I said, I did land acknowledgement with young women in South Bronx. A mentor I worked with continued that practice into New Orleans, where she teaches. A young Indigenous man in her class uh, was a difficult student. When she acknowledged his territory, he became engaged. He's now a star student. And then uh, it did get nice feedback, so then I continued on to give a bit more context, which was um, the class we're reading about Inuit and sustainability. So I Skyped with them a few weeks ago. John John, the young Hauma man, showed me the regalia vest he had made, and on the back was his Indigenous name. Then he asked me what mine was. (laughs) And then there's like a little crying emoji, heart emoji, and like fist emoji. (laughs) I do understand and empathize that land acknowledgement can seem very insincere. And when you've encountered colonialism and oppression and erasure, uh, of culture, and you hear someone just say something that's meant to be really intentional and effectual as a text, then yes, I absolutely can understand that maybe that person shouldn't have even bothered. But I, I really do see the value in it. I, I recognize it. I do it. I practice it because I've seen um, the great impact of it. I think that might be a rare occasion, but it was definitely an exceptional one. That was Renalta Arluk on the tweet she wrote in response to our question asking if land acknowledgements are important. Uh, and of course, that was one student that was affected greatly and, and changed the way he thought of of his nation and, and in fact, his individual self. But for the rest of those students, Hayden, who are non-Indigenous, it didn't really do what it was supposed to. What was your reaction to that? Yeah, I 
I think that it's a really wonderful thing that that resonated with with that particular student. And, you know, I see that in the classroom all the time. If it's a largely non-Indigenous group and there's a handful of Indigenous students, just that that recognition uh, can go a really long way at making mm-hmm. those students feel welcome and comfortable. And um, I'm not surprised by the reaction at all. Uh, the acknowledgement, I think it was designed and has been practiced to encourage non-Indigenous people to recognize the fact that they're on Indigenous land as well and, and to provoke action among them. So again, it's it's maybe not surprising that it, that it didn't resonate as much with them, but uh, that's maybe an indication that the territorial acknowledgement lacks that substantive element that that provokes action. Now, our conversation started by me asking you what a territorial acknowledgement is. But what should it be? Well, I'd like to see that that commitment. I have to emphasize the the circumstance. I mm-hmm. think in 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 settings where it's an unfamiliar practice or a new practice, I think beginning with that acknowledgement just hey, we're on these people's territory. That's a, that's a good thing. But as this is a, a longer process where we've heard the territorial acknowledge, it's a historical practice almost in some cases, then I definitely want to see that commitment. I want to see the, the provost of the university or the president of the academic conference or the premier of Ontario saying, this is the land that we're on and this is what we're going to do to breathe life into our obligations to mm. those, to mm-hmm. those communities mm. uh, and those treaties. Hayden, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been really enlightening. Thanks for having me. Hayden King is advisor to the Dean on Indigenous Education at the Faculty of Arts at Ryerson University. He is Anishinaabe from Bolsalay, First Nation, on Chimnasing in Heronia, Ontario. All right. So if folks are interested in listening once again, this was posted at cbc.ca. This came out in January. Now I'm going to go back to January 19th, excuse me, January 18th to be specific. And I'm going to go back to the article that included this clip in the first place. And we'll be going down the list um, that I was reading before. I don't know why I'm saying um so much. I just am taking a lot of that information in, certainly. So number eight, if you're going to do one, you got to do some research. If, for example, you are in Oklahoma, you might want to acknowledge one of the 39 tribal nations there today, but you know, right, that many of them are there because of the Indian Removal Act. Nine, how might you incorporate that history into your acknowledgement? Ten, find out what the nation, nations, you are naming in your acknowledgement are doing today. Tell your audience about it. Tell them how they can support the nations, that nation's work. See, that means you have to do some research so your land acknowledgement is meaningful. 11. Annoying fact. A lot of people think children's literature is not worthy of the same kind of study that English departments give to... It says BKS, for the adult, give to books, uh, for the adult market. But you know that people want their kids to read. In your land acknowledgement, recommend a book by a native writer. 12. I've got links to lists of books by native writers, and they have a link. Let's see here. Best books. And that's also from the website. So if you would like, uh, there's a lot of links here. So it might be easier for folks who are listening at home. If you go to Weekly Review page, the page we have up, facebook.com, caveat, yes, Facebook's evil. They do a lot of harm noted facebook.com forward slash weekly rev i've just posted this article and that has the links in there so you can check it out there 
Uh, the author says, I'd love to see people who do land acknowledgements in California say, hey, everybody, Island of the Blue Dolphins is not a good book because it isn't. I haven't heard of that. But that noted. 13. And I'd love to see people in California who are doing land acknowledgement say, hey, everybody, let's look critically at the mission projects teachers are doing. Start by reading Teaching the Truth about California missions. Interesting. And they have a link as well. And it's an article that came out in May 2014. So lots more information there as well. 14. And wouldn't it be terrific if land acknowledgements in California and Alaska and Georgia included, let's think about the impact the gold rush had on indigenous people. 15. In other words, do some work before doing a land acknowledgement. Make it meaningful. Give your audience a task. 16. And when you speak those words, don't do it in a somber tone. Oh, okay. I've been doing that. Uh, you're not in church. When you're teaching, don't you don't speak in a reverent prayer-like way. Don't do it for land acknowledgement either. 17. By this point in this thread, some of you are wondering what to do. How, might you might wonder, can you get it right or close to right? 18. Most of you have a lifetime of unlearning to do. Some of you have a family story about a native ancestor, and you think that puts you in a place to say this or that about an issue. But if you don't know more than just native ancestor, and that's in quotations, quotation marks, you're probably relying on stereotypes. 19. Some of you might have taken a DNA test and in your head and heart to think that validates your family story, but it doesn't. To understand why it doesn't, read Kim Talbert's work. Start with her article, There's No DNA Test to Prove You're Native American. And they have a link as well. Get her book too and follow her on Twitter. 20. Most of the mainstream media does a terrible job reporting on Native issues. They can f- flail about as they've done for hundreds of years, or they can take a look at the resources developed by the Native American Journalists Association. Okay, and they have a link here as well. Let's click on that. I have many tabs open right now. It's, yeah, so if you can find uh, Native American Journalists Association, NAJA, and if you go to najanewsroom.com, they have a list of resources. Okay, great. So lots of resources here. Next, 21. There are resources available from the American Indian Library Association, too. Click on this link here. And this is at um, ailanet.org. So many more resources there as well. 22. Do you listen to podcasts as you drive, walk, or exercise? I do. Subscribe to, there's one called All My Relations and Media Indigena. And that's... Indigena, excuse me. And that's uh, M-E-D-I-A-I-N-D-I-G-N-A.com. You can find that podcast there as well. Oops. Let me go back here. 23, give a listen to Henceforward. There's a link to that as well. 24, one issue you, you could address in your land acknowledgement is mascots. There are far more than you may know. Zoom in on this, and they have an interactive map as well. Oh my goodness, there's lots of information here. 25, and if you want to incorporate something about why mascots are unacceptable, start by reading Stephanie Freiberg's research. 26, get a copy of Daniel Heath Justice's Why Indigenous Literatures Matter. It doesn't matter what you teach. We all read, buy, and share books. Daniel's book will help you a lot. So there's a link to that as well. That's all it for now. And then the author came back, back to add one more tweet. 28, This is a great resource for doing land acknowledgements. Make sure that you read the articles here and take a look at the teacher's guide too. Here's the link that will take you directly to the map, right to the map. Read the disclaimer that pops up when you go to the map. So 
let's see here. It's a territory acknowledgement and it has a lot more information. So clearly there's a lot of information out there. So time to time to learn and also time to unlearn. And so I've been, of course, doing this, not of course, why do I say that sometimes? I do. I've been doing land acknowledgements on this show here for a while and grateful for this article because of course it, it does feel sometimes empty when I say it because I, I say it and then I'm not sure what to say next exactly. So I appreciate that, of course, obviously that there's so much more information that can be shared and also ways for folks, it's, it goes beyond just acknowledging it. It's what else can be done to, to I guess, take action, which is part of the reason I, I like doing the show is to find ways to, to take action against the, the there's so much that's happening in the world that's unjust and unfair and, and happened before many of, you know, we got here. So what can we do? <sighs> so uh, one piece that folks can do here in Northern California, and I would imagine that there are places that are also in other, <laughs> other parts of the world where you're listening, uh, for the Bay area, there's a Segoria Te land trust. And that's at, S-O-G-O-R-E-A-T-E dash landtrust.com and it's the Shumi Land Tax. And so I've read this before and also want to share it again. Uh, the land you live on. Do you live in Oakland, Berkeley, Albany, El Cerrito, Richmond, San Pablo, San Leandro, Alameda, Piedmont, Hayward, Union City, Fremont, Pella, excuse me, <laughs> Pleasanton, Pinole, Livermore, Moraga, Orinda, El Sobrante, Danville, Walnut Creek, Martinez, Pleasant Hill, Benicia, or Vallejo? Question mark. If the answer is yes, Ilovan traditional Chochenyo and Karkin Ohlone land. This land has a deep history and a community of people who have lived here for thousands of years. For those of us who are not indigenous to this land, the Shumi land tax is a way to acknowledge this history and the Ohlone community. A legacy of survival. In the face of generations of brutal violence and systemic subjugation, the Ohlone people have survived Spanish soldiers and priests with whips and Bibles, Mexican rancheros with guns, and white 49ers with chains and murder. Through it all, Ohlone people held on to their language, stories, and songs, raised their children, and kept their traditions alive. Over the years, Native Americans from other parts of the country pushed off their traditional lands, moved to the Bay Area, and joined the Ohlone. Support the support the Segura Te Land Trust. Today, the Ohlone community in the East Bay has no land base. They are not federally recognized and have been politically and economically marginalized. Thousands of the, their ancestors' bones are locked away in museum basement boxes at UC Berkeley and San Francisco State University. The Shumi Land Tax directly supports the Segura Te Land Trust's work to acquire and preserve land, establish a cemetery to reinter stolen Ohlone ancestral remains, and build a community center and roundhouse so current and future generations of indigenous people can thrive in the Bay Area. Shumi is for non-indigenous people who live in traditional Chochenyo and Karkin Ohlone territory to make a voluntary annual financial contribution to this critical community work. If you live in on Chochenyo and Karkin Ohlone land, you are inadvertently benefiting from the genocide waged against the Ohlone people and the theft of their land. Whether you know it or not, however you feel about it, this is an inescapable fact. The civil infrastructure, the economic system, the private development, and the consumption of natural resources in our society are all connected to and in different ways built upon the colonial occupation of this land and the violent displacement of the Ohlone. 
Paying this Shumi land tax is a small way to acknowledge this legacy and contribute to its healing. A home in the Bay Area. The Ohlone have always known what many of us have more recently come to understand. The Bay is a special place. The moderate climate, the natural beauty, the ecological, and more recently cultural diversity are just a few of the many qualities of life here that we love. The Shumi land tax is about repairing our broken relationships with each other and the land we live on. No amount of money will undo the damage that's been done, will bring back the lost lives or erase the suffering of the people. But this is a step in the long-term process of healing, a small way you can right now participate in a movement to support the self-determination and sovereignty of the local Native American community. For more information about the Shumi land tax, check out the facts. And that's FAQ, of course. Uh, we invite you to join us. And then they also have a, a way you can calculate your annual Shumi land tax uh, and suggested land donation. And they've got more information there. So... That is one of the many ways that folks can contribute. Um, yeah, that's a lot of information. There's been a lot of information on this show. Uh, it usually takes me a few hours after I do the show to, uh, I'm kind of, <laughs> it takes me a while just to process and unpack everything. So a lot of information there. Hopefully folks, uh, by hearing this, there's something no matter where you live that you can identify with and it's about an action item too there's a lot of action and i guess also uh, hard to find segues in the show or it's uneasy because there's so much that's happening in the world and as was mentioned earlier there was the massacre in new zealand that happened yesterday uh, another white supremacist who has been radicalized online and there have been folks activists for ages have been saying that the, the big tech platforms are not, they still provide platforms for folks to recruit, for white nationalists to recruit. And they, it's, it's sickening because there are people have been saying, hey, this is a problem. People are trying to recruit. And also the politicians with their Islamophobic rhetoric, fucking, it's all fucking connected. And people who speak up about it are told, oh, don't worry about it, or oh, just ignore it, or oh, uh, the fucking false both sides bullshit. <sighs> so this, these things keep on happening. Oh. And in a way, this is just an extension of colonialism happening over and over again. White men coming in with their guns. Oh, fuck. I feel like I did a whole loop here of just... Oh. Hmm. All right. I'm going to take a break. Take a moment. I'm going to breathe. Got some news stories coming up. It's 111. There's... I'll get to some headlines. Oh, goodness. There is... Uh, a climate march happening. I think it's happening around the country. It's also happening here in San Francisco. It's a children's or young people's climate march. Folks are taking action. And one thing that does bring me some relief is that knowing that there are, I guess there, there are definitely folks of every age, of course, who are taking action and also wanting to acknowledge that there are younger folks out there who are really taking action and wanting to show my appreciation for folks who are doing just that. So here's a song that kind of encapsulates uh how I've been feeling a bit lately. <laughs> it's from Amanda Palmer. You wish 
starving your heart You used to have sisters, you don't anymore You worship the sun But you keep feeding the dark And I'm out in the yard with my son and my daughter And the sky's going black and I think we should start running from the water and everybody's yelling yelling that they're coming but I don't see a single soul they're all so busy yelling not one of them is hearing they're hissing from the bottom of the boat I got some feelings on my sleeve I got a compass in my eye I got a needle in my heart it's gonna tell us where we are Drowning in the sound You worship the sun But the moon's in the way So get your armaments out She's always looking for trouble She's gonna get what's been coming to her She's switching the tide And we can't have that shit around The television They're blaring out a warning That our natural state is drowning That our natural state is burning And you're trying to help And you're kicking for change And you're calling it out And you're adding your name And you're marching for peace But you're lynching the bitch That got up in your face So is they gonna take you seriously? Um, so Drowning in the sun Saying that that's just the way it is. I can taste it coming. I 
can taste it with my tongue And my children are so heavy, but I pick them up and run And I know I'll have to swim soon when the water gets too high I'll keep holding them above me, I'll keep holding them and crying song was pretty sad and that also was even sadder than uh that was a demo version my mistake uh there's another version of it that has more music it's more but more of a full sound still same depressing lyrics however that was not the version i was intending to play <laughs> so we'll we'll get some more upbeat stuff by the end of the show do you want to share a, a petition that folks can sign? There's a lot of ways folks can show up. This is from Mehente. Tomorrow, March 16th, the Arlington board will vote on the Amazon Headquarters 2 proposal. Local organizers are fighting to keep Amazon out. Please join us in solidarity with them and sign the petition to tell Arlington County board members to vote no on any bid or proposal that would give any taxpayer-funded subsidies or tax incentives, such as tax breaks, credits, or abatements, to Amazon's Headquarters 2, whether they are being provided by the county or the state. Headquarters, too, will add to increased living costs and displacement of our families. Amazon supports 45's anti-immigrant agenda, selling technology to ICE that enables family separation and deportations, a taxpayer-funded giveaway to the richest billionaire on the planet that is theft of public money that should go to schools, housing, healthcare, and benefits. Hashtag for us, not Amazon. I will share this. I've shared it on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. And I'll uh, let's see what I can do to to uh, share this <sighs> on the Facebook page. So you can also share this petition and also, also blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'm going to slow down. If you know folks in the area in particular to have them get out the word. There are some upcoming events that are happening soon. March 17th, which is Sunday, from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. at the New Parkway in Oakland, uh, there's Defender, a film on the criminal justice system by Jeff Adachi. Uh, folks can check that out again. Sunday, 3 to 5 p.m. at the New Parkway in Oakland. It's hosted by KPFA Radio and the New Parkway. Still mourning the loss of Jeff Adachi. And... There's another event that was happening I was also going to promote. And let's see if it's up here. I've got a lot of stories to get to. Clearly, we're running out of time, and I'm talking way too quickly. So 
we'll see what what we can get to. Oh, all right. Nope. And nope. And let's see. Nope. All right. We'll uh, see if I can get to that one by the end of the program. It's not until April, so we'll also get to that. Okay. Oh, I'm kind of burnt out. I haven't done that much talking, I feel, overall on this show. So I'm going to read a few headlines, and then we'll take another music break with maybe a more cheerful song. Maybe. From Gainesville.com, City joins call for UF to cut Wendy's tie. Uh, interesting headline, and it's about their affiliation with Wendy's, the fast food place. The Gainesville City Commission passed a resolution Thursday that supported the Fair Florida program. The Gainesville City Commission passed a resolution Thursday that supports a call for the University of Florida to cut ties with Wendy's for its refusal to enforce fair wages and worker safety protections for its farm workers. The resolution was in support of the Fair Fair Food program launched by the Coalition of Imokali Workers, CIW, in 2011, which partners with farmers and other retail buyers to enforce better wages, worker safety, and protections against sexual violence. According to the Washington Post, roughly 80% of women farm workers have been harassed or assaulted. Other major fast food chains, such as McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, Subway, and KFC have joined the Fair Trade, excuse me, Fair Florida program to ensure farm workers are protected and compensated fairly. On March 14th, members of CIW and the UF Student Farmworker Alliance plan to march from downtown Gainesville to the UF campus to demand the university end its relationship with Wendy's until it joins the program. The fast food chain has two campus locations. Oh, I've uh, opened a tab for a new store that's... Ugh. Next one, though, I'll read something more positive first. Oregon legislature passes nation's first statewide rent control policy, eviction protections. And this came out, this is February 26, 2019, so a few weeks ago. It's from OregonLive.com. We'll read a little bit about this. Written by Elliot News, NJUS. The Oregon House on Tuesday approved a new eviction new eviction protections and a first-in-the-nation statewide rent control policy. After the 35 to 25 vote, Senate Bill 608 now heads to a supportive Governor Kate Brown after speeding through the legislature with the backing of Democratic leaders in both houses. It will take effect as soon as she signs the bill. With Brown's signature, Oregon would become the first state to enact a statewide rent control program. In other states with rent control policies, cities enact and administer local programs. The bill would cap annual rent increases to 7% plus inflation throughout the state. It exempts new construction for 15 years, and landlords would be free to raise rent without any cap if renters leave of their own accord. Subsidized rent would also be exempt. Backers characterize the bill as unlike the rent control policies common in some of the nation's most expensive housing markets and dimly viewed by many economists. Studies have found those policies can be effective in reducing displacement of current tenants, but result in a reduction in rental housing units and higher rents for new renters. Democratic leaders have described their bill as an anti-price gouging measure that offers landlords and developers much more flexibility than policies elsewhere. Okay. All right. So. Okay. So that's happening. Always important just to read more about more than beyond the the headline. Oh goodness. Okay, I'm 
Oh, goodness. The next few articles I have are super depressing. And I'm going to read the headlines. And if folks, listeners, would like to read more, uh, folks can do that. I feel like there's already been a lot on this program. And perhaps I'll just play some music <laughs> for the last uh, 20 minutes or so. I'm kind of feeling that energy. I like to talk about history on this, this program, especially things we didn't learn in school, which is a lot. So from back to Stonewall... And that's back the number two stonewall.com march 8th 1970 after stonewall the forgotten nyc snake pit bar raid 167 patrons arrested one critically wounded <sighs> so there's an article on that uh which folks can check out also from uh pacific standard psmag.com an article Non-white school districts get $23 billion less funding than white ones. That was written by Dwyer Gunn on February 26th. A new report finds that funding gaps between white and non-white districts persist across all poverty levels. Um, Another article from grist.org. The world lost environmental leaders on Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302, and that was written by Justine Kalma, and that came out on March 12th. Next, Los Angeles Times. ICE is tracking immigrants with the help of California sanctuary cities. Court records show. Fuck ICE. You have to don't say that nearly often enough. Abolish ICE. That was written by Jasmine Uloa, and that came out on March 13th, again from the LA Times. Oh, goodness gracious. Oh. And so those are the main articles I was planning to get to today. Did want to mention that Governor, <laughs> some folks say is a lizard person, Governor Newsom did suspend the death penalty by executive order, uh, which is good, of course. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of articles on that. KQD also has a write-up by Sean Schaefer, and that came out on March 12th as well. So lots of information out there, and of course a lot of things that are happening and just, ugh. It's, yeah, there's a lot. I'm going to uh, play one quick song here, and then I'll get to some other music, I think. And that might just be it for the show today. There's been a lot of material, uh, a lot to get into, a lot to process and unpack. And I feel like that's pretty good. That, uh, yeah, there's a lot. Okay, I'm running out of words. I mean, I have the words. It's hard for me to put them together because there's a lot going on in my head right now. So, Women's Magazine with Global Val will be back uh, next week as we'll Common Thread Collective. Oh, it's a good time to do a, a, to plug the station, Mutiny Radio, here in San Francisco. We have shows here every day of the week. There are a lot of great shows here on the station, so please check out mutinyradio.fm. If you are interested in doing a show here of your own, there are slots available. You get two hours a week to do any kind of show you want. You pay monthly dues. You get trained, and that's it. The equipment's here, so all you have to do is bring in yourself and or folks you'd like to do a show with. You can play music. We've got records here, some CDs as well. <sighs> so, yeah, if you'd like to do it, We'd love to have you. The more people we have here, the better. Also, we do rent out the space for... Oh, there's that mic stand. It happens at least once once an episode. Usually I get so uh, upset when I'm reading a story that I wave my hands and it hits the mic stand. Today, I don't know what happened. It just twisted in a certain way. 
So if you'd also like to rent this, this, <laughs> this space here, you can also do so. Please contact Pam, who's the station director. If you go to mutinyradio.fm, you got all the information and much more. Check out all the different shows on the station. There are a lot of great ones. If you're interested in hearing about terrible news that happened two, three years ago, check out our archive. <laughs> That's a great plug, isn't it? We also have, have had really great guests on the show. That's been the best part is having the folks come in and call in, such as Vanessa today, hearing from folks who are doing really incredible work and just making the world a better place. So do want to thank all the guests who've been on the show and have made this a really incredible experience. So thank you. We have the archives they go back to i think 2415 on the archive site online i've got the shows back till december of 2013 on an external hard drive somewhere we'll put it up at some point i say that i've been saying that for a while looking out there for any folks who might be able to help out with tech people who have time and energy that would be super helpful get in touch that would be great okay also, if you would like to support the show, if you're able to, uh, patreon.com forward slash weekly rev, anywhere from a dollar a month and more helps out the show. I've been volunteering my time to do this because I think it's super important to have voices out there that need to be heard. And also, as long as we're living under capitalism, uh, one uh, have to pay rent and it's fucked up. So if you're able to help out even a little bit, a dollar a month. I'd really appreciate it. It'd mean a lot to me. And big thank you to all the folks who are recurring donors. It means the world to me. So thank you so much. Okay. Uh, that's, that's that. All right. It's about one thirty. I say we play some music for the rest of the show. Thank you so much everyone for being you. And uh, yeah, here we go. I think most folks know this song.
song remains as true as always. If you tolerate this, then your children will be next. <sighs> Start off the show in a real upbeat now. After getting to the news, of course, it's deeply upsetting. Um, sending lots of love and solidarity to all the Muslim folks out there. And, oh, yeah. Whew. Whew. Lots of, there's lots of rage out there for all that's been happening, all the violence that's been happening towards folks. Um, been sharing some more because I can't quite put this all down. There's just a lot out there. So I do end up sharing a lot of info on, on Twitter as well. So I want to encourage folks, if you'd like to, you can follow me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-A-R. Just in this past past few moments, I've been sharing some words of wisdom that I feel are crucial. And I also want to encourage folks to follow other folks as well. I mostly retweet things that uh, I think are important to share. So if I've been quiet by playing music the last 20 minutes or so, I've been online sharing words from other folks that um, I can't quite verbalize at the moment. So please do check out that as well. <sighs> I'll take a moment here as we wrap up the show. Big thank you to everyone for tuning in. Thanks to everyone out there for showing up as you can in the world. Um, there's so many folks in the world right now who are grieving and sending lots of love and solidarity out there. Sometimes I find these the words fall short or empty and because uh, the words aren't enough. It takes action. So... wanting to put that out there. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this world. All right. There are vigils that are happening around the country right now. And nonstop people getting together to show support for one another. So wanting to Recognize that as well. Okay. So I feel like, yeah, that's, and of course, only getting to a fraction of all that's happening in the world right now and wanting to also give voice to that, what's happening. So lots of upcoming events and one that's happening on Saturday, March 30th at the White House, which, oh, I have... I have a lot, of, a lot of thoughts. Maybe you can identify with some of the thoughts I have about what should happen in that building. Ugh, horrible building. Anyway, on Saturday, March 30th, there's a rally in March at 1 p.m. at the White House. No to NATO, no war on Venezuela. So folks can check out that if you're in the area. Protest set as NATO prepares 70th anniversary fete. There's a, an article with more information at uh, workers.org. On March 5th, this was posted. So another national anti-war mobilization, because this is all, of course, connected. Big thank you to Vanessa Rochelle Lewis for calling in. And again, if you'd like to check out the Pleasureness Literary Academy, please go to pleasurenesslitacademy.com. And we've included that on the Weekly Review webpage as well. You can check out that info there as well. 
lots of okay yeah i'm i'm gonna take it easy i think from from now on for the rest of the day big thanks to everyone out there for listening in thanks for doing what you do and we'll be back uh the show will be on uh, next week i will not be here however there will be a show so stay tuned FM. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. Asiento. Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryan. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have Incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket, March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www. Asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. <laughs>